Hi, and welcome to Be The Flagship with our podcast host, Jeff Parsons. This is where we tackle the day-to-day talent management challenges you face, particularly in hospice and small healthcare organizations. And now, over to our host. Take it away, Jeff. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Be The Flagship. I'm your host, Jeff Parsons, and today we have a crucial topic to discuss, succession planning. In today's rapidly changing business landscape, it's more important than ever for organizations to have a plan in place for leadership transitions. So stick around as we dive into what succession planning is and how you can implement it effectively in your organization. To kick things off, let's get a clear understanding of what succession planning is. Succession planning is the process of identifying and developing potential leaders within your organization to ensure a smooth transition when key personnel, especially top executives, retire, resign, or just move on. It's not just about replacing people, though. It's about nurturing talent and business continuity. It's about developing a consistent pipeline of talent. It it protects your business. It protects your business's future. So, what are the benefits of succession planning? Well, as I mentioned, it creates an internal pipeline of talent. And why is that important? for your healthcare organization? Well, for one thing, it decreases your operational costs that are associated with replacing talent, in other words, your recruiting costs, and training new hires. So it reduces your operational costs. It also increases employee retention. How does it do that? Well, having a good robust process in place is a your demonstration of your commitment that you're going to develop and grow your existing talent. It also provides an organizational analysis of talent gaps compared to future needs. In other words, once you've completed your strategic planning, you know, for two years out, for three years out, you can determine what skill sets you need in place to drive organizational success for the future. Once you do that, then you can, if you have a good process in place, then you can go back to your existing talent, determine what their skill sets are, determine what the gaps are, and it helps you determine how to develop your existing talent so that when the need occurs, you'll be ready. And so it it, it helps you prepare for the future. It also improves your internal communication. If you have a good process in place, it forces the leadership team to have those discussions with your high potentials on where they are today, where you see them going, and what they need to do to address any skills gap. And development is always a two-way street. There are things that an organization can do to develop talent, but there are also things that your employees need to do to prepare themselves. And so having that discussion is really important. It is a business insurance policy to have a good succession planning process in place. It helps protect your future. You don't have to worry about making battlefield appointments to someone when you have an immediate departure, an unexpected departure, it prevents you from having to make a battlefield appointment to a person who may not be ready for the challenge. So having a process in place helps you develop so that you have fewer battlefield appointments, if you will. It it helps guarantee greater success. 
It also, if you have a good process in place, it also strengthens your job descriptions. It forces you to be very clear on your job descriptions in terms of skill sets required. It also helps you uh, develop success profiles for each of the critical roles that you define so that you'll understand what it takes for talent to be successful in those critical roles. And that helps you, again, determine what the gaps are with your existing talent, who's ready to move into roles today, who's ready to move into roles in one-plus years or one to three years or three-plus years. It helps you map your talent and your talent development. That's why it's so important. So... Let's talk about your investment in your talent. I know organizations sometimes struggle with that, and I'm sure most of you have heard the old story about the CFO's discussion with the CEO's discussion regarding the CEO's desire in investing in their talent, and it goes something like this. Hey, Sophia, I wanted to talk with you regarding our employee development budget. I am concerned. Hi, Robert. What is your concern? Well, what if we invest all of this money developing our employees and they leave? I see. Well, I have a question for you. What if we don't invest in developing our employees and they stay? So again, investing in your employees is critical to your business success. Consider it an insurance policy. A good, effective, robust Succession planning process is an insurance policy for your continued business success. So what are the key elements of succession planning? There are four stages of succession planning. The first is implementing a software solution. You must have a place to store data. A good, effective succession planning process is data-driven. It's metrics-driven. And so you must have a platform to capture, to store the data, to report on the data for your employees, for your high potentials. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. You also need to assess the key roles within your organization. What are the key roles? It's the executive level and, and two levels down, typically, that organizations do uh, use to assess the key roles within those levels. It's not every job is what are those key levels to ensure the success of our organization, execution of our strategy, that sort of thing. The third stage is identifying employees with the skills and potential. So understanding who your employees are, what skills they have, uh, what behaviors they have, what potential they bring to your organization. So that's the next step, identifying those employees with the skills and potential to do more within your organization to potentially succeed into those critical roles that you've already identified. The fourth stage is creating and implementing development plans. What are development plans? Well, for each role, you should have a success profile. That success profile should identify those key behaviors, those key skills that a person within one of those assessed critical roles need to have to be successful. Once you do that, then you compare the employees to that success profile, identify the gaps, and create career development plans to help overcome the gaps to get them ready to prepare them for their next move you know when you hire someone you be you should be hiring not for the job you're hiring for at that point in time you should be hiring for the next job up for the next level up what potential does that employee bring to your organization 
So now that we understand what succession planning is, let's talk about its key elements. Again, first you need a software platform to capture key data necessary to support an effective succession planning process. The process must be data-driven, as I've mentioned. You may already have a human resources information system or an HRIS in place that captures the needed data. We use a platform we call Flagship Compass when we work with clients and helping them implement succession planning processes. So what data is contained in the software? First, job descriptions for each identified role. For each critical role, you, role you've identified within your organization, again, perhaps two to three levels down within your organization, you should have job descriptions captured. You should also have what we call success profiles for each identified critical role. Again, what behaviors, what skills are required for a person to be successful? Oftentimes when we make battlefield appointments, we, take, we don't take this into consideration, so we set people up to fail. We place them in a higher level role and they have not developed the behaviors or the skills necessary to be effective in that role and to continue to grow with your organization. So you need success profiles that help identify what does it take for a person to be successful in this particular role. You also want to capture who the high potentials are for each identified role with their readiness level. Are they ready now? If you had to make a battlefield appointment to this particular employer, are they ready now to be successful in that next level up role? Um, you know, are they going to be ready in one to three years? And what's required in order to get them ready between one and three years out? Is it going to take three plus years to get them ready? All those things need to be captured. All that data needs to be captured in a software platform. You need performance data for each identified high potential. It would be pulled from your uh, performance reviews or evaluations. And you need a career development plan for each identified high potential. We call them hypos. But you need a career development plan for each high potential. So let's take a couple of critical roles that are typical within your organization. Let's just take those as an example to walk through the process. So let's say one of the roles is your chief financial officer or your CFO. So you've identified that as a critical position. That's probably in your organization, that's probably a C-suite role. And, and, and C-suite roles are often included in succession planning as critical roles because they drive strategy. And so they're important roles. So let's take the CFO role as an example. Obviously, it's an important role. And, and, and so what's the first thing you do once you've identified the role? Again, make sure the job description captures all that's necessary to be successful. Make sure you have a success profile in place. And then what do you do? You take a look at the talent pool that you would pull from and consider for succession planning. What would your typical talent pool be for the CFO? Will it be your accounting and your finance department, right? And so you would go through your organization, your finance and accounting organization and each individual and begin to have discussions of 
how effective could they be in that CFO role? Do you have an obvious successor to that role? Do you have someone who's been groomed for a while for that role? Do you have someone who was hired knowing or at least hoping that they can move into the CFO role? Those things are necessary. So you take a look at that talent pool, which would be accounting and finance. Does it have to be accounting and finance? Well, no. It could be a person in another in another part of your organization. Who knows? It might be an HR person who has a degree in finance and accounting and who wants to grow within your organization. And perhaps an unlikely path for an HR person could be in finance. But it may be someone outside the finance and accounting organization. But you do want to take a look at your talent pool and, uh, and identify and begin to groom those potential successors for that CFO role. As an example, let's talk the COO, Chief Operations Officer. Where would the talent pool be for the COO role? Well, the obvious talent pool would be within operations, right? And so you take a look at that next level down in terms of operations. Do you have potential successors? However, it does not have to be in operations. It might be someone in finance who had some operations somewhere in their background who, who wants to get into operations and they're smart enough, they have the right behaviors, but you need to identify the skills they need in order to be successful in an operations role. So you look at the obvious talent pool first, but don't focus just on the obvious talent pool. There are other individuals in your organization who may be cross-functional in their desires, in their skill sets, and they may have the behaviors that would support their success in a role outside their likely career path. So again, once you've identified those high potentials, then develop career plans or career development plans for each one of them. Do you do this in a vacuum? No, you don't. You have discussions with those identified high potentials. You let them know that, they're, that their name has popped up in your succession planning meetings and that you recognize that that person has potential within your organization. How powerful would that be to hear as an employee? You know, what would be my incentive to stay within your organization to uh, commit to your organization and to go above and beyond in my job to ensure success and, and to support my opportunity to move into higher level roles and to continue my professional and personal development. So create development plans. Again, those, all this data should be housed in a software platform. What do you do? What, what are ways in which you can develop employees once you've created a plan? Well, mentorship is one way. Having a mentorship program within your organization, pairing that high potential with someone in one of those critical roles who is very successful in that role. And I don't mean just bottom line results, but I mean how they get the bottom line results, how they deliver the bottom, uh, bottom line results. What are their behaviors? Are their behaviors supportive of your core values and your mission, or are they disruptive? Do they create drama? Do they keep create division within your organization? So does the mentor demonstrate the right behaviors and do they have the right skill set in place uh, to be successful within an organization? If they do, they're a, they could be a, a wonderful mentor to someone in a lesser role and help them understand what it takes to grow within that organization or what it takes to grow within that profession, regardless of whether it's in your organization or not. So mentorship is, is one way to accomplish this. Training. 
uh, you know, once you've identified the skills gap, then the next logical step is try to address those skills gap through training. So uh, prescribe training, ensure they get the right training to be successful and that they develop new skills, new learning, new knowledge. Coaching is a way to increase the skill level of people within your organization. Assigning a coach to them and and using a 360 assessment to help them understand how they perceive themselves compared to how others perceive them and where are the gaps and what can they do to address those gaps so they can be perceived better within your organization. So mentorship, training, and coaching are exceptional methods for developing your high potentials. Other ways of developing your high potentials would be through project assignments, interim appointments, interim assignments to give them exposure outside their typical team or outside their typical organization so that they get exposure with the decision makers within your organization so that you know they'll be uh, they'll understand how they're perceived by others but giving them that opportunity for exposure special presentations anything you can do to increase exposure for those high potentials is helpful so keep that in mind as well what else can you do well as it relates to evaluation and feedback, performance evaluation should be more developmental in nature and not just performance management. You should shift your mindset from a performance management mindset, a carrot and a stick, if you will, to more of a performance development mindset and and link performance development and their current performance with their future opportunity. You know, there's the trick, right? And so uh, effective performance evaluation and performance development discussions and performance development feedback are critical in the development of your high potentials, all of your employees, really. But today we're focusing on your high potentials. Highlight the significance of regular assessments and feedback, you know, to track the progress. Make sure they understand what the process is and how they receive feedback and what they can do with the feedback and how that feeds into performance uh, evaluations and performance documentation and, and, and where they are in the process. You know, a lot of organizations are afraid to tell people that they've been identified as high potentials. Why? Well, they're afraid that the person working beside them is going to be upset and leave because they're not included in the high potential discussion. I tell you what, though, that is a learning opportunity, right? That's an opportunity to give good feedback to that person who's not included in the high potential discussions. Make sure they understand in a positive performance development mindset why they're not included today. But that doesn't mean that that person's broken. What that means is, okay, so if I understand now why this person's included and for me to be included, this is what I need to do differently. Here are the behaviors. This is the way I should behave differently. Here are the skill sets I need to learn. Maybe I need to go back to school. Again, development is a two-way street. The employer has a responsibility to develop employees, and the employee has responsibility to develop themselves. And so having that understanding shouldn't be a scary thing. It should be a very positive thing. It should be a very positive discussion to have those who aren't included in your succession planning process. Okay, it's time for a commercial. Take it away, Laura. Are you in need of interim HR support? Would you like to transition your performance management process to a performance development process? Are you interested in implementing a robust succession planning process to create an internal talent pipeline? 
Need a wage survey or an employee satisfaction survey? We have over 30 years of HR and talent management expertise. Let Flagship Talent Solutions help you today. To learn more, contact Jeff Parsons by email at jeff at flagshiptalent.com or by phone at 1-800-530-4189, extension 101. Thank you, Laura. So, great. How can organizations implement succession planning effectively? Let's break it down step by step. First, build a succession planning committee. So who should make up this committee? You should have a minimum of three to five individuals on this committee. Almost always the CEO is on that committee. Almost always your head HR professional is on that committee. And most of the time you will have your C-suite professionals, your C-suite leaders on that committee as well. Why do you need all of those people? Well, you need representation of all your organizational departments. You need people on that committee who know the employees in their organization. They work with that next level down uh, intimately uh, each day, and they know that employee's skill set. They know the behaviors. They are key contributors to success profiles and what it takes to be successful within in their critical roles. So at a minimum, CEO, the head of HR, and then most of the time, it involves your C-suite employees within your organization. It could be your COO, uh, your chief clinical officer, your CFO. All of those individuals should be a part of your succession planning committee. In some cases, with smaller healthcare organizations, it may include a member of your board of directors uh, just so that they can have insight and it provides them exposure to your workforce and those who have the capability of moving into that C-suite level role, into that CEO role at some point in time. So you have a committee in place, what's next? Well, the committee should work hand-in-hand with your HR professional who's more than likely on your committee to make sure you have good, well-structured, current, up-to-date job descriptions for each of the critical roles you've identified, number one. The committee works with the HR person to make sure you have success profiles developed for each of those uh, critical roles. The committee works with HR to make sure you have a process structure uh, linked to a communication process for the high potentials, right? You want to make sure that once you've identified high potentials, that they know they've been identified. How do you know when it's a high potential? Well, there are a number of ways you can tell. Number one, do they have the skill set to do their job? You know, what's their performance been over time? Um, and, and because their past performance is their best predictor of future performance. So what's their performance been over time? What, more importantly, what have their behaviors been over time? Have they been supportive of your mission? Have, have they demonstrated positive team behaviors and working well as a team member? Or have they been toxic within your organization? You know, sometimes, you know, in an HR role, I can't tell you how many times a manager would walk up to me, you know, with an employee that's really performing badly at that time based on their behaviors. They're behaving badly. And and it's time to make a tough decision on that employee. And the manager says, well, I can't afford to be without them. And my response is, you can't afford to be with them, right? Because it's creating division in your organization. It's lowering the morale in your organization. They're a detriment 
to your team. They're, they're not a positive. They're a detriment to your team. And so address that, and life will go on. And so make sure when you're identifying the high potentials, not only do they have the skill set, but they have demonstrated behaviors that will continue to support your core values, your organizational culture, and will help you drive and achieve your organizational objectives. Then what? Create development plans. And that's where HR works very closely with the high potentials direct manager because the manager should be drawn into the communication loop as well. Because that direct, there may be a two path. Uh, development plan for this high potential to move into the higher level world. They may first need to move into the next level world to be prepared for the higher level world. It could be one move up, could be two moves up. It could be a cross-functional move and then a move up, right? It depends on the, the critical role, the needs for that role, and it depends on that high potential employee. But HR should work, work hand in hand with that direct manager to help them understand how to pull together a career development plan. Now, it's not that manager's sole responsibility to do so. It should be a collaboration between that manager and that high potential. They should work together so that the employee understands what's required to move into that next level role. What does that success profile look like? What do I need to do differently tomorrow than I've been doing in order to set myself up for advancement and growth within this organization? Then make sure that your communication is transparent, not only communicating with that high potential employee and that, hey, you're on our radar screen. We have noticed you. We have recognized your performance to date. We have recognized your behaviors to date. We want to grow and develop you. And here's the path of accomplishing that, right? Have those kind of discussions with the high potentials, but also have transparent discussions with those who are not included. Why? They need to know how what they what they need to do differently to grow within your organization, right? What skills do they need that they don't have? What behaviors do do they need to demonstrate that they haven't been demonstrating? Have those discussions with those not included as well. It will demonstrate your commitment that, hey, this is a part of our performance system, having those tough discussions with those employees who are not ready to advance within the organization just yet, right? Also communicate with your potential recruits, your potential new hires. Make sure they understand you have a succession planning process in place. It's serious. It's a living, breathing process, and you have it in place because you're committed to growing and developing your employees. It will send a powerful message to those you're trying to recruit into your organization. Finally, Monitor your progress. And it goes back to the software again. Explain how to, you know, we're going to talk about how to continuously evaluate. It should be a continuous evaluation. You know, performance evaluations, they may happen once a year or maybe if you're lucky twice a year. But that's just formalization of things that the employee should already know. You know, performance evaluation should be a daily thing, actually. And so this is no different. The, the, The communication process for succession planning is is no different. It should be an ongoing communication process on how well the person is doing, how well they're performing, how well they're developing and, and preparing to grow into those higher level roles. Again, the software that you use is vital uh, to the success 
success of your succession planning process, right? You need to have the capability of running reports and providing those to the succession planning committee on the high potentials and and where you said they were last meeting and how much they've advanced since then. And if they haven't advanced, why haven't they advanced? HR has a critical role in facilitating uh, the succession planning process. They're not the manager of the process. No, it should. It, it has to be driven by the CEO. It must be driven by your highest level organization leaders. HR should be a facilitator of the process. Whew. Okay, so it's time for Jeff's comic moment. And, and what I'm going to do today is pull back on my history uh my vast history in leadership development and go back several years in uh facilitating leadership development in mobile alabama and uh, i had that employee there he was the class clown if you will he always had a funny comment to make about the topic we were discussing at the time well during this workshop, I, I used the Myers-Briggs type indicator, and that's a person, if you're not familiar with it, it's a personality test. It's a personality type indicator, and it measures on four different uh, criteria or scales. I won't get into the details of it right now and bore you with that, but anyway, you, you complete the assessment, I get the results, and it produces a report and I get that back to the um, the trainee. In this case, because time was limited, I gave the, uh, the questionnaire to my workshop attendees. I did so as a homework assignment and, um, and, and expected them to bring it back the next morning and then I would score it and, and pull together the reports during the class. Um, now, normally when I'm facilitating and debriefing the Myers-Briggs, I start with going through some of the key uh, attributes of each of these different personality types, and, and then I'll have them guess their own type. Each person guess their own type on those four scales. And then I give them their report, and, they, and, and then we talk about how close they were, how close they guessed their type. And... I will ask how many guests write on all four scales and sometimes I'll get you know two or three hands raised right and then I say okay how many guests write on three of the four and that's when I typically get a number of hands right because they understand the concepts this one guy hasn't raised his hands I say how about on two of the four and I rarely do not get any hands raised on at least two but he's still sitting there he's not raising his hands I'm wondering what is going on so I said how about one of the attributes he just sat there and he didn't raise his hand so I said well you didn't guess right on even one and he said no I didn't I said okay and then I moved on with the class and but in the back of my mind is something's wrong he's not getting the concepts I need to spend some additional time with him so at the end of the day I made it a point to be at the door the exit door of the classroom and as he walked out I stopped him and asked, you know asked him so you didn't guess you didn't guess right on even one of the attributes and he said no Jeff but I have a confession I said okay he said well I was busy when I went home last night, so I didn't take the assessment. I actually asked my wife to take it for me. So we didn't know anything about him, but we knew an awful lot about his wife. 
And so from that point forward, I made it a point never to, to uh, give the assessment as a homework assignment any longer. Okay, back to succession planning. No plan is without its challenges. So let's talk about some common pitfalls in succession planning and how to avoid them. One challenge is the lack of buy-in from leadership. If you don't have buy-in from your senior leadership team, it is the death knell of your succession planning process. You must have senior leadership buy-in. And where does that buy-in start? At the very top, at your CEO level. If your CEO uh, is not bought in to succession planning, you're wasting your time trying to implement it. So it starts with the CEO and, you know, talks cheap, right? Uh, it, you know, it's, it's when I say it starts with the CEO, it's through demonstrated action, not just words. Yeah, we're committed to it. It's demonstrated action. It's measuring the success of your succession planning process. Who has benefited from this process? Who have you promoted as a result of the succession planning process? And if the answer to that is no one, you need to go back and self-examine. But all of that starts at the top. All commitment for succession planning must be driven from the top of your organization down. Another challenge, lacking good data uh, and not having data to make good decisions from. And so instead of making it data driven, you're basing your decisions on subjective criteria or even worse, you're making gut decisions. Again, that's how we make battlefield appointments that fail because we're using our gut. We're using subjective criteria to make decisions on who can be successful in these roles. Make sure you use data. Make sure you have a software platform capable of storing the data, running robust reporting, linking career development plans to success profiles uh, to help you track the success of your process. Also, be sure you don't neglect diversity and inclusion. You need to ensure diversity in your talent pool. If you don't have a diverse talent pool, then you need to step back. And what do we need to do differently to begin to bring talent, diverse talent into this organization who have the potential to grow within this organization? Another challenge is the inability to adapt to change, you know, lacking flexibility in your succession planning strategy. That process, when I say it's robust, I mean it should be dynamic. It shouldn't be static. It should be dynamic based on the needs you have in the organization uh, today and in the future. You need to have a strategic business plan that identifies where you're heading in the future and then begin to track your talent and your skills and behaviors that will be necessary to drive that strategy in, in the years ahead. So you have to have flexibility in your process. So what's the future of succession planning? What's it going to look like in the years ahead? So as we wrap up, let's take a look at the future of succession planning. First of all, we have 
We've made great strides in technology with AI technology that can help us in 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 the data driven part of uh, succession planning and working with success and creating success profiles and things like that. What else has impacted succession planning? Well, in addition to technology, remote work. More employees are working remotely than they were pre-COVID, right? And so how can you apply succession planning to a workforce that's not present in your workspace, in your office, right? They're in their own workspace in their homes oftentimes. So how to draw those remote or hybrid workers into your succession planning process is a challenge. You know, how can you bring them into the discussion? How do you include them in, in the communication? How can you make sure you don't neglect them in the succession planning process, you know, it shouldn't be a hit against them uh, that they can't move upward because they work remotely or hybrid. However, if that next level job should require that they do work in an office environment and that they are there on a full-time everyday basis, that remote or hybrid worker should understand this, right? And, and should demonstrate behaviors that would lead you to believe that they're capable of working within that type of environment. So bringing them into the office on occasion, getting them involved in projects and project teams, other ways to increase their level of exposure in, in, in your workspace. So you know what succession planning really does for you in addition to increasing incentives for employees to commit, perform, stay, and grow with your organization? You know, the other uh, benefits, it begins to create an environment of continuous learning and employee adaptability and flexibility. It communicates learning is important to us development is important to us we'd much rather grow you than have to hire someone from outside to move into these higher level roles we don't want to buy skills we want to grow you and that's such a powerful message to your employees and again establishing that feeling of continuous growth and establishing that continuous learning environment is critical well, now, that brings us to the end of today's episode on succession planning. I hope you found this discussion informative and inspiring. Remember, succession planning isn't just about finding the next leader. It's about securing the future of your organization. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be the Flagship with Jeff Parsons. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did like it, please subscribe and share with others. Until next time, take the step to become the flagship in your marketplace.